Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. We're going to get into it with the latest news in retail with Craig Patterson. He, of course, is the editor-in-chief at RetailInsider.com. I think he might be our most prolific guest on the show, but we're going to talk everything about some closures going on, say Payless Shoes, as well as some very helpful technologies that are becoming available to people everywhere. But before we get to that, I do want to bring up a few events that BIV has coming up. February 28th at the Shangri-La Hotel, we are facilitating an expert retirement ready panel discussion. And then on March 8th at the Fairmount Waterfront Hotel, we have the 20th anniversary of the Influential Women in Business Awards. You can find more details at BIV.com slash events. Now let's get to some retail talk right now. With us today, it's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. He's here to talk about all the latest news in the retail industry here in Canada. Craig, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so so we got to get this one out of the way right now. But uh, Payless Shoe Source, they've now had their second filing for creditor protection. Lay it all out for the listeners here. What is next for Payless moving forward? Well, it looks like they're going to be holding a sale. Uh, they may have started already, or they're going to be quite imminent. And uh, unfortunately, the stores are all going to close. That's almost 250 stores across the country, including, I believe, 31 in BC. Wow. I, and I hear like that they've been around for like more than 60 years at this point. They, they really do seem to be kind of an institution for a, a lot of Canadians and you know people across North America. What do you think the impact is going to be just with regards to maybe its legacy at, at this point? Do you ever think that they have that a shot like maybe Toys R Us did where it could one day be revived down the road if you know another entity like the Canadian entity of Toys R Us stuck around, but we now see it being revived down the United States? What do you think you know, maybe if he had, uh, if you could read the tea leaves, what do you think the future holds for Payless now? I guess anything is possible. The Canadian division was separate. Um, they are applying in an Ontario court for a uh, you know separate bankruptcy application. Um, however, I think if uh, you know Payless, I think they said it lost twelve million dollars in the last year, and uh, you know it had other issues in Canada specifically. Um, I think if Canada, sorry, if Payless was to be revived in Canada at some point. I think it would need to uh, change its strategy significantly. I mean, you know, I'll be blunt. You go into the stores, they're not very nice. Uh, The product in there is, uh, you know, I don't find it very compelling. Um, I don't know if you saw that uh, campaign where they opened a um, a high-end store called Paylessy. Basically, what they did is they brought in a bunch of uh, influencers, as they're called, and said that this is a new high-end Italian shoe line. Um, you know, some of the bloggers, uh, influencers, whatever you want to call them, they uh, some of them paid up to $600 for a pair of shoes, thinking that they were, uh, you know, fancy, basically. And then they found out, oh, they're from Payless. And they're like, oh, we were so surprised. So I went into a Payless store right after I saw that. And uh, at least for the men's collections, because, you know, I'm not, I didn't look at the women's shoes, really. But I thought there was not one shoe in here that I would think was even high quality. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think the last time I went into a Payless, I went to go buy shoelaces, and then I just took a, a browse around what the selection was in the men's area, and it just nothing jumped out to me. Like, I have to be honest, a lot of it just kind of looked like um, cheap grandpa shoes or something like that, like nothing that I'd wear. I'm surprised Payless shoes honestly stuck around this long. I think that 
you know, it probably survived on women's shoes. I think that some of them may not have been, you know, mm. as bad. I know that apparently my sister, I was talking to my mom about that afterwards. You know, my sister, when she was younger, I seen her friends uh, as students would buy shoes that pay less. And I know that some of my old coworkers uh, in other places, you know, they used to go there and all females. So perhaps that shoe selection is better. But, you know, if they were a men's footwear retailer, they should have been gone 64 years ago. I mean, you know, that that's how bad it is, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I also just wonder if we look at, the landscape for shoe retailers, how much of it comes down to, say, that impact of, say, e-commerce? I, I think about VancouverBasedShoes.com and how it abruptly closed down back in 2017. I, I, From what I understand, though, it's because this is a very hard business to do, especially with the, the, the very intricate, complex supply chains going on. How much do you think Payless fell victim to that, despite the fact that it was around for so many decades? Well, I don't even know if online is one of the big issues. I think it is to a degree. Uh, there is actually a surprisingly high segment of the population. I don't have the number exactly, but people do buy shoes online. I've actually done it. And these are one of those things where I thought, oh, I want to try them on in person. But it's actually worked quite well for me so far. I think only one pair I ordered didn't send. I probably ordered about 10. One mm-hmm. pair didn't fit. Yet nine did. And, uh, uh, you know, that that's impressive. I think we've got, you know, this unprecedented competition. I mean, all those shoes... Uh, you know, which is a lot more fashion forward than pay less. Like, no question. I think that consumers, uh, you know, quite a, quite a few of them, or at least certainly in cities, are looking for a certain style. I don't think pay less was addressing that. Pay less would be a great place if, you know, you, you lived in Medicine Hat, Alberta. You know, that's sort of the style. <laughs> Not right, yeah. Speak disparagingly. But, you know, there are places that are a little less fashion forward. Um, you know, the pay less store on Granville Street in Vancouver, I mean, I, I don't know who would have been shopping there except for shoelaces. It's not... Uh, uh, you know, a store with designs that I think would speak to, you know, a more sophisticated urban consumer. There's a lot of competition. Nordstrom's coming to Canada. They're known for their shoes. Um, DSW, uh, you know, designer shoe warehouse has come in. Uh, they just closed their town shoes chain, but, you know, there are still those big DSWs and sh- they also own shoe warehouse and they own, um, what's the other one? There's another, <laughs> uh, she went, you know, anyways, there's a lot of competition out there. And I think we're seeing the weaker retailers, uh, um, you know, falling by the wayside. I have to admit, I think I've only walked into that Payless on Granville Street once, and it was just like, like it, it was kind of an off-putting experience. Like it, it was like this second-story building, and I, I was just wandering around in what felt kind of like this old warehouse sort of deal. Like, I don't know, with the fluorescent light, it just wasn't a great shopping experience, and I, I never went back uh, to that one. Uh, I, I bought my shoelaces at a different Payless outlet uh, in Mount Pleasant instead, but I, I don't know, it's just kind of... It was never an experience that really did it for me as a consumer myself. Yeah, no, I'm surprised that Payless survived as long as it did, just given how their stores are. Obviously, there's a market somewhere that's buying those shoes. And like I said, I suspect it's a suburban and rural population. Uh, Payless certainly has downtown stores. You know, downtown Vancouver's got at least one. Uh, I know Toronto has probably a few. Uh, I've certainly seen them on Young Street. So, you know, they are in the urban cores. They're also... They've got some expensive real estate. You know, they've got stores and some, you know, A malls. I, uh, I noticed. So, you know, these are those are those big shopping centers with expensive rents. So, uh, I'm sure that you know all the stores that Payless had almost 250 in Canada. Um, you know, and they're not teeny tiny stores. I'm sure that you know rent was one of the issues that uh, you know led to its demise into the debt because I think they had a lot of stores and I don't know if they were all needed. I mean, the downtown one should have been shut or never opened. Yeah, uh, that downtown one in uh, on Granville Street. I am curious what's going to end up coming of that uh, particular space, just because it is prime real estate. But as you pointed out, it's actually 
quite a big footprint in downtown. So I, I really do wonder who has the pocketbooks to you know plant their flag there and move forward with uh, some sort of business. I, I just don't know at this point. It's a pretty prominent corner. I'm sure something great will move in there. Um, I mean, certainly there's some locations that I think will be a struggle to lease. But, you know, the corner of Robson and Granville, that's sort of, you know, ground zero. I, I think something amazing will go in there. I mean, maybe we'll see a Starbucks reserve go in there. I don't know. You know, one of those sure. uh, roasteries, uh, <laughs> something a little bit bigger. Um, you know, if they're able to, uh, you know, do something with the building, maybe Uniqlo can finally find a space downtown. I mean, uh, again, you would need more space, you know, merge within a Jason tenant or, you know, a teardown in a new build. Um, I'm not sure if it's a heritage building, but, you know, there are lots of options there. That's a really important corner. I, I think that it was probably, you know, too prominent for Payless. Payless, I think, was very lucky to be at that corner. Yeah. Well, let's say you, you walked across the street, you're at uh, Pacific Center Mall, and, and you had trouble navigating, you know, that particular mall. You guys, RetailInsider.com, you have a story up uh, talking about how mall landlords could be making more use of, say, map apps on people's smartphones to help navigate through malls. Tell us a little bit about this trend that is taking hold across Canada right now. Yeah, we're seeing landlords and uh, well, various other entities trying to innovate and make the experience better for consumers. So, um, you know, Apple Maps, for example, we're seeing some shopping center landlords now sort of getting in on that in terms of they've got their stores, uh, um, you know, placed onto maps. So if you're on your uh, you know, smartphone, uh, you know, your mobile device, you're able to say, I want to go to, Hey, less shoes. No, you want to <laughs> go to, you know, whatever store is in the mall, you know, say the Apple store, um, you know, which is going to be moving uh, into another space in the mall that's been reported. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, but you're able to find that. I, th- I think that improved wayfinding is, uh, um, you know, certainly something that shopping center landlords are looking at. Um, one of the, you know, some people do have an issue with, uh, you know, I say getting lost that creates, uh, you know, a degree of anxiety. You never want anxiety in the retail experience because people do shop uh, a little bit more when they're comfortable. So uh, I think it's really smart that mall landlords are looking at uh, improving wayfinding. And uh, I know Cadillac Fairview just launched something called Ravel, which is Ravel. I think it's pronounced Ravel. Uh, basically, um, it's a tech initiative where, uh, you know, you be able to go into a mall and uh, uh, one of Cadillac Fairview malls that is and uh, and have an interesting experience. I mean, they, everything's going to be integrated uh, You'll be able to find your way around the mall. You'll know what deals are happening. Um, they'll part- they've partnered with Lyft, so you can take a car. Uh, uh, you know, be dropped off near the entrance to say whatever store that you wanted to go to. Uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of tech innovation in shopping centers probably in the next five years. It really come a long way between that time that you would have to stand at that big tablet and look at the color coded parameters for whatever the store is that you wanted to go to. I, I would honestly. Those things, I, I can never figure it out quite a bit. I always get lost in the mall after I'm trying to follow those maps that are always like in the center of the mall somewhere. Yeah, no, I mean, some shopping centers can be a challenge to find your way around, either if they're large or if the floor plan is, you know, not intuitive. And, and that is the case, especially with shopping centers that have been built in multiple phases. You know, it uh, can be hard to find your way around, but some aren't that bad. I mean, a mall like Oak Ridge, for example, I mean, I, I don't find Pacific Center disorienting for the most part. Maybe a little without built on a hill and underground part of the way and has department stores kind of, you know, anchoring each end oddly. But, you know, Oak Ridge right now is not that hard as a square, basically. But, you know, that, that'll change with the redevelopment. Okay. Well, so we started at the corner of Robson and Granville. We walked across the street to Pacific Center. Now we're taking the SkyTrain, the Canada Line, down to Richmond. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in Richmond with regards to Muji, Craig. Yeah, Muji just announced that it's going to be expanding its store at the CF Richmond Center. And 
I find that pretty interesting because, uh, you know, Muji entered uh, Vancouver market last year with a store at Metropolis at Metro Town. And it was it was actually quite big. It was 7,770 square feet. So um, I was it the largest. I, yeah, it was. It was the largest in Canada when it opened up. Didn't last for too long because a few months later, uh, that great big one on Robson Street opened. So you got this big store and they've got all kinds of stuff in it. And, uh, you know, they've got, you know, engraving and monogramming, and, um, you know, all kinds of customized things, you know, they've got fragrances and books and plants. And so um, I, I think, you know, the uh, Richmond Center, so basically the history around this is Metropolis and Metrotown was doing very, very well. They've since expanded that to over 12,000 square feet. Wow. Uh, the downtown Robson Street store is big. It was always big from the moment that it was opened. And now uh, Richmond Center, I guess they've seen considerable success there. And they're actually annexing a space beside it. And uh, they're going to bring it more in line with the product offering and the uh, experience that you would get at the other two flagship stores. So all three Muji stores in Vancouver are going to be flagships by this spring. I, what do you think that really indicates with regards to where they see the market for their products and for their brand going in this particular region? It looks like the Vancouver market is being very receptive to Muji. Um, you know, I know Uniqlo is doing quite well also. So uh, it's these Japanese uh, retailers that have interesting products that, you know, are of, of a decent quality and of a price that, you know, isn't too high. They're not the cheapest retailers, but, you know, they're not luxury stores. It seems like, uh, you know, there was a place in the market for, uh, uh, you know, Muji and Uniqlo and other stores. And, uh, you know, I find that quite interesting because you know there is a lot of competition out there muji's competing with you know even for some furniture items with ikea you know there's there's a lot of this competition and you know from home goods to fashion and um, muji uh, you know is also competing against i guess sort of the mini sews and and even you know dollarama to some degree i mean the prices that uh, muji would be much higher but they've got smaller items and whatnot so i think that muji's cultivated in an aesthetic an aesthetic and an image which uh, is popular and consumers seem to be reacting to that. Now, granted, I don't actually shop there that much myself. I, I've been a few times, but you know, it always seems kind of like an appealing place to go to, even if I'm just like walking by. It, it does look like I, I can understand why there is that big appeal here in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, there's lineups when these stores open, which uh, that's always a good sign, I think. Uh, <laughs> you know, the yeah. Robson Street store had lineups, I think, literally for days, and. Uh, you know, the Vancouver consumer seems to be excited by retail, and I think that's really interesting. I mean, that's not unique in Canada, but I would say probably, you know, I look at the market across the country. I think, you know, Vancouver gets the most excited about retail generally and seems to frequent stores and goes go to them and whatnot. The other market, funny enough, that is similar to that is Halifax, but that's more with independent retailers. And there's a there's a blog out there called Halifax Retail, and uh, it's great. It keeps everybody up to date on what's happening in the Halifax market. I look at it myself just out of curiosity because, you know, I, I don't get to report on Halifax that much. And, you know, we don't report on the mom and pop that much. So, anyways, it's uh, the two markets that, uh, you know, I think Vancouver and Halifax on each coast uh, love their retail. And the rest of Canada, you know, they're, they're catching up. I'm intrigued by this Halifax scene. I wasn't aware of that. But uh, let's say you, you jump back onto the SkyTrain, you take it all the way to YVR, and now... Craig, you find yourself in Toronto. Tell us a little bit about this tour of the new flagship shop of Vancouver-based fashion house, Aritzia. What's going on there in Toronto at this point? Aritzia is interesting. They um, are also starting to build flagships, kind of like I was just talking about with Muji. Um, you know, on Robson Street in Vancouver, they've got a 13,000 square foot store, which, uh, you know, has a corner location uh, at Thurlow Street. You know, it's big. Um, what I'm seeing now with Aritzia is they're building these bigger and bigger stores. Um, they've got their own private label merchandise, which they've been expanding. They've got labels like TNA, Babaton, 
um, Wilfred, and uh, you know they even spun some of these off into their own standalone stores. Uh, but uh, you know these the stores are getting bigger. In Toronto, um, Aritzia took a somewhat small store. It was small and narrow on Bloor Street. It was actually quite unremarkable. I'm surprised they hadn't done more with it in the past. But they uh, more than doubled it in square footage. Um, they've got an escalator going into the mall down below, and it's a really unique experience. It's a beautiful store. It's got a coffee shop, which is the first in Canada for Aritzia, and it's got this dressing room area in the back, which I, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, uh, you know, well, it's more like it's it's a plush salon. It's, it's oh. actually quite stunning. I, I'm very impressed. Wow. Well, you know, I appreciate you taking us on this uh, cross-Canada journey today, uh, Craig. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. And that's it for our show today. We're going to be back next week. And for now, you can find our archives on iTunes and Stitcher. And we'd also encourage you to share it with your friends and leave a review as it's going to help other people find this podcast. For now, I'm Tyler Orton, and thank you for listening.